Guess what? We are in season seven of the Iron Woman podcast. I'm Rosalie, and I really like Crave Jerky pink flavor. Also, it's raining tacos from out of the sky. Tacos, no need to ask why. Just open your mouth and close your eyes. It's raining tacos, yum, 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 and yum. It's like a dream. Also, we couldn't do this without our sponsors, Wahoo Fitness, After C Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. How's it going? Hi, Haley. How are you doing? I'm great. What have you been up to? Are you still running a ton? I am. I was thrown a little bit of a curveball this week, though, because we got some of that winter snow. So I escaped the first snowstorm that hit Charlottesville in December when I was racing Indian Wells, but I couldn't escape this one. And we only got four inches of snow, but I still acted like we got a blizzard. And so I prepared like it was going to be a blizzard. And then I went out and trained in it, Haley. And I felt like every time I wanted to like stop on my run because it wasn't that much fun to be running in all the snow. I just was like, this is what Haley does all the time. So I'm going to keep going. And I do have like a gear recommendation for people. So have you ever used anything to provide you traction on your shoes when you're running in the snow? Every single time I go outside, I do. I wear micro spikes the Catula micro spikes. They're, they're the heavy duty ones. They're kind of expensive, but they are worth every penny. What so do that's you use? What, that's what I was using. I was using the Catula. I use the nano spikes though, maybe because we have like baby winters here in Charlottesville. So do you have the, the nano spikes? I or have is the nanos like, as well. Okay, so okay. The nanos I put on my like dog walking shoes. So that's when I'm just walking. Or actually if I ride the fat bike, I wear those shoes, which I know sounds really overkill, but, um, my fat bike right now has studded tires And so, but the problem is if you want to put your foot down, there's ice. So you have to be able to put your foot down. So I wear the nano spikes on those shoes. And then when I go running, I wear the micro spikes, which basically look on, look like, like crampons, (laughs) like you're going to go ice climbing. And I thought they were super overkill at first, but they are awesome. I, I mean, I can run on like sheets of ice and it's no problem, but yeah, you do need those to run in the snow and the ice. Yeah. I don't doubt it. I like totally recommend it. If people are out there are using yak tracks or something like that and you're not super pumped about those, I think these are definitely like one step up. I think the design of these is like a little bit more advanced for like real wintry type of activity and for kind of like real athletics in the snow and ice. And so they were recommended to me. This is the first time I got to try it out. And I was like so excited because they really work. And I did, I was able to do a full long run in the snow and the ice and like, you're able to still like bomb down hills and stuff and feel like you're not going to go slip sliding away. Even when you hit pavement, I was like, Oh my gosh, are they going to be slippery on the pavement? If I like don't stay on the icy part, you know, but no, it was great. I was very pleased. I'll have to like go on to some reviewing apparatus and review them for them. Cause I was really pumped. I'm a fan. Yeah, they are great. And they just make a little extra noise on pavement and they're easy to take off too. So like, that's one thing. If I ride the bike to the gym, um, you don't want to wear like your spikes indoors. So you can't just take them off or I bring another pair of shoes and change into those, which I probably should anyway. But yeah, great purchase. Nice. We need to get them to sponsor our podcast. Obviously, we just had a nice little commercial for them right here. But we're not sponsored guys. We just like them. But yeah, we like them a lot. So maybe I'll maybe I'll send this over to them. But Haley, what have you been up to in Montana? We actually haven't had a lot of snow lately and it's been really warm. And when I say warm, probably like 40 degrees. So which is is pretty warm for here this time of year. So I've been enjoying it. You know, I've gotten to get outside a little bit running and you're just not worrying about that deep snow because that's when I start to get, you know, a little bogged down is when when it gets to like 
uh, shin height snow and you're running through it, it's just really, really slow. And so right now everything's really packed down. So it's almost like running on hard dirt. So it's actually pretty nice. And we have just total blue skies. I think we have some snow coming this week though. And I'm okay with that. I do actually really like the snow. It slows everything down a little bit. And I think that's okay this time of year. And oh, Alyssa, I have one, I haven't told you this, but I rode indoors in my garage with Nikki Kimball last weekend, the former record holder of the Vermont Long Trail. Like she was in your garage too, or you were somehow both riding on some sort of virtual <laughs> ride and you found each other. No, she came over to my house and she was in my garage. She's actually injured right now. And so she was riding on my road bike and I was just telling, showing her the joys of indoor training. I bet she was a beast at it too, right? She probably like hopped on. Oh. I was like, oh yeah, this is, this is fun. I and mean, she's like crushing it. Yeah. Like I had kind of, it was a pretty mellow workout and we had another friend who came over and we're kind of like telling her how to do things like thinking like maybe she's like never ridden a bike and she gets on and she was just like killing it. (laughs) So that was kind of cool. I was like, Hey, I know Alyssa and she knew you of course and knew all about you and loved hearing, you know, all about your adventures on the long trail and was very proud of you for breaking her record. Oh, well, cool. I I did see that she has started coaching another woman named Alyssa who has grown up in Vermont. And I know she has said before that she wants to take a stab at the long trail. So that's going to be like an interesting dynamic to see how that plays out over the next couple seasons. And I'm actually like really excited to see how that all goes because I have been following obviously FKTs and stuff, but I think it's so cool that now we have kind of like a generation of women who can now like pass on knowledge and like you know like coach people and like help train people and for that because it is it's a a lot of I mean not all of them but especially the multi-day longer trail stuff you know like once the people who have through hiked the PCT and the AT and all that stuff like if they're willing to pass that information on to the next generation that's you know younger and able to recover faster than we are then the records will keep getting broken. So it'll be fun, but that's very cool. You got to meet her. I still have yet to really truly like meet her in person. So maybe another reason I'll have to come to Bozeman. Yeah. Come out to Bozeman party in Haley's garage, indoor riding for everyone. We got, we got all the Wahoo kickers set up, so it's a good time, but, um, not indoors, the Southern hemisphere this time of year. And we actually had a race this weekend. Our first Ironman branded race of 2019. Did you catch any of the action down in Pucon? Haley, I actually have to admit that I didn't see too much of it. I think I woke up and was like, oh, a race happened type of thing. So I'm hoping the time change was different because I didn't see a lot of live coverage. And I usually like to, you know, if I'm uh, the live coverage. Okay. So I have raced there and the live coverage is huge in Chile. So Pucon is in like South Southern kind of it's it's not the southernmost race anymore. I think Bariloche is, but it's south of Santiago. And they have like a full on like live newscast going on during the race, like broadcast in Chile. And for those of us who didn't get to see it, Barbara Riveros did win for the fifth year in a row, Chilean athlete. She is like a rock star down there. When I raced, it was, I mean, it was wild to watch because she almost has like, needs like a security detail because there's so many people who just want to like get at her and like take pictures with her. And it's, it's crazy to watch. And then Alicia Kay was a runner up there. And then Macarena Salazar, who I believe is a rookie, uh, Chilean athlete rounded out the podium. So pretty cool. And I don't think you've ever raced that race, Alyssa, but I think you would love it because Not only is it possibly the most scenic race ever, it has the hardest run course ever. I mean, it is insane, the hills on that run course. But you're like running up this insane hill and you get to the top and you have a gorgeous view of a volcano. So you can't even like feel sorry for yourself. Yeah. favorites for sure. After, love it. after hearing you talk about it, I do. That's I'm moving up the South American races more and more on my bucket list because I do need to get to that hemisphere, I guess, to do some racing just because I do think it's sounds like a really gorgeous place. And I love anywhere where people like get into the racing like that. And they, 
really want to see the races happen and are excited for the pro races. So that sounds like a good place to be for it. The catch is that you just have to be in shape in January for it. So, yeah, (laughs) but it is awesome to go to like the Southern hemisphere in January, because if you're from the Northern hemisphere, you're used to like snow and these short days and you go down there and you're like, it's summer. It's crazy. And everyone's like out eating pizza and ice cream and walking around on the streets and having a good time. And it's just kind of a nice like change. So one of these years, definitely. I highly recommend it. For sure. And Haley, we have another mailbag question come in. And so this comes in from Bev. And shout out to Bev. Uh, she was on the UVA triathlon team and used to swim with me in the mornings when I had moved back to Charlottesville. And by swim with me, I mean, she was like crushing me in the pool. She was a very, very good swimmer. So hi, Bev. I'm so excited that you're listening. And... Bev has a job now that requires her to travel all around the world to places where she sometimes can't train outside. And in the beginning, it wasn't too bad because she was racing mostly shorter distances, but she's made the switch to fulls. She did her first full Ironman Florida in 2017, and she wants to do another in the fall of 2019. She was looking for advice on how to build and maintain fitness while juggling time zones, hotels, and airports. So she isn't able to really afford coaching right now. She knows that could be like a huge help, obviously. So aside from that, looking for our input here, she has a swimming background and she's not super pumped about like, she says the 13 miles on the treadmill mill or a four hours on a hotel stationary bike. So Haley, what advice do you have for Bev? So for Bev, I actually kind of was in a similar situation when I worked in public accounting and I did travel quite a bit for work. And one of the big things I always did was when I was booking my hotel room, even before I booked it, I called the hotel and I asked what they had in their gym. And I asked like exactly what equipment, like, okay, if you have a stationary bike, is it a recumbent bike or is it like a sit-up bike? And how many do you have? Do you have a treadmill? How many treadmills? Just so it helped me kind of plan that I would Google for pools. I know Alyssa, you mentioned swimmersguide.com is a good resource when you're looking for a pool, a public pool in an area that you don't, aren't really familiar with. And then I'd also check Strava and I would look at routes that people ran kind of to see if I could figure out a route that was safe and, you know, not too trafficy that would be safe for me to go outside if I did want to go outside. So I would do a lot of work up front. Yeah. I don't know if Bev is like traveling over the weekend. If not, you do kind of have to load up those weekend times and that's when you're going to get your long rides in. And that's when you're going to get your long runs in when you're home and just really maximize the time when you are home so that when you're away, you're not as stressed about getting in certain sessions. And I think you just also have to be kind to yourself and know that 30 minutes on a recumbent bike is actually like, it can be, it's a good workout. It's still 30 minutes on a recumbent bike. And Haley, I think you have like a great kind of testament to how good recumbent bikes are, right? I do. So before my very first pro race at Ironman Arizona in 2012, I believe I was working in Abilene, Texas the week before And I had sent my bike ahead to Arizona with tri-bike transport. And so I was actually doing all of my training in Abilene on a recumbent bike and on the treadmill. And then I flew directly to Tempe, did the race and I finished seventh. So it can be done even in the pro ranks. Sometimes you have to just like do the recumbent bike, but you are, you're still getting that motion. You're still getting the blood flowing and it is something's better than nothing. Yeah, I agree. I think you can use what you have. And if that's going to be a recumbent bike, then that's what it is. And try and get yourself your heart rate up and get moving and use that. It's definitely better than like not doing anything for a few days while you travel. You can always now like with social media and the internet, you might be able to find a nearby gym like treadmill studio or even like soul cycle classes. I have athletes who when they travel, they'll just do soul cycle because that's like pretty easy to get in and you know, it's going to be like on a good schedule. It's a good workout. And like, again, you're just getting moving, right? We're not, we know that it's not the same as riding your triathlon bike at home and doing a workout, but it's a, you know, you're getting something in also like tri clubs and run clubs are in a lot of cities. So depending where you are, maybe you can reach out to them and who knows, maybe someone will meet you for a run or something. If you don't feel safe or something like that, Strava is, I always, I spend like probably way too long when I, before I'm traveling, checking map my run and Strava and things like that, looking where people are running, how often they're running it, like just to get a sense for where the safe routes are and where people 
are going without like a lot of interruption and things like that. But also I will say that some tough love Bev, like 13 miles on a treadmill is not bad. So if you give yourself like a workout going into it, you can get through that without even realizing it. And just don't be like, Oh, I'm going to run 90 minutes on the treadmill today. And then get on there and be like manual mode, you know, and treadmills today are like so cool. Like some of them have like the virtual, like if you're at a nice hotel gym, you might get one with like the screen that shows you like these places in New Zealand and you can like run through New Zealand while you're on the treadmill and it adjusts the incline here and there. I mean, that keeps it interesting. You give yourself a workout. Obviously I'm a big fan of the treadmill. And then my last piece of advice for people would be that sometimes you just have to make yourself do it beforehand. So if you know you're going to be without your bike or a bike for three or four days and it's like a time of the year where you really need to be getting in some bike miles, if that means you have to get up at three in the morning to do a bike workout before your early flight, it might be the right thing to do in that instance. You know, I don't recommend that kind of thing all the time, but there is a time and a place for that sort of thing, certainly. So, you know, something to consider as well. But you can definitely fit it in. And the biggest thing, I think, to take away is just to keep moving and do what you can with what you have. Yeah. And you'll be really proud of yourself when you pull it off. So thank you for the question, Bev. And if anyone else has any questions, you can write into our mailbag at ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Haley, we do have a really fun interview for people today. We have Taylor Spivey coming on. Yes. So we're taking a little bit of a departure from our typical iron women long course focus. And we are going short today, not short in our interview duration, but short in that Taylor is a ITU draft legal focused athlete racing sprint and Olympic distance. She is definitely an Olympic hopeful for the 2020 Tokyo Olympics coming up just next year. Can you believe that's next year, Alyssa? I'm so excited. That's going to be great. It's going to be so fun. So Taylor is from Southern California. She currently trains with the triathlon squad, which is typically based in California, but right now they're training over the Canary Islands. She has been a force to be reckoned with on the world triathlon series circuit in 2018. She had six top 10 results and she finished the season ranked eighth in the world triathlon series rankings. She also had a win at the super league race in Malta that finished out her 2018 year. So we're excited to talk to Taylor about her fantastic year in 2018, what she has planned for 2019 and looking ahead a little bit at the 2020 Olympics. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Hey, Taylor, welcome to the Iron Woman podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> So as we're chatting with you, I believe you're actually at training camp in Fuerteventura in the Canary Islands. I'm not sure if I pronounced that right, but it was my best attempt. So if any of our other (laughs) listeners need a geography lesson, I already Googled it for all of us. And the Canary Islands, which are technically part of Spain, are actually located just off the northwest coast of Africa, kind of near Morocco. So I'm really curious because you train with the triathlon squad. They're headed by coach Paolo Sousa. And I believe you typically base yourselves out of San Diego, California. So I'm curious about why you decided to take things international this year. (laughs) That's a very good question. (laughs) Yeah, well, currently we are in the Canary Islands. Um, I've never been here before. It doesn't really feel like Spain. It's a totally different climate. But I think my coach decided to move our base from San Diego to Europe because we've we've evolved into such a big international group. And it just made a lot more sense for um, the group as a whole and for our races coming up this next season. I've trained a little bit in Lanzarote, Taylor, and raced there. And I know that life there is definitely set up to be like an athlete. So I imagine where you are, it's kind of similar where things are probably like at your fingertips for swimming, biking, and running, which also makes it quite easy. Is that the same where you are? Yeah. Yeah. I think there are a lot of like athlete type resorts 
in the Canary Islands. I'm actually staying at an Airbnb, but the rest of my team is at a resort. And um, there's a 50-meter pool there, and it's all-inclusive. And it's just set up to make life a little bit easier. I like the Airbnb because it's the one time I get to live um, on my own and, and separate myself from triathlon life a little bit. But that's just my personal preference. <laughs> okay, so knowing that you are an ITU draft legal athlete, I imagine that right now you're kind of gearing up for that ITU World Triathlon Series Um or WTS for short, we'll use that during the podcast, and which is the highest level of draft legal racing in triathlon. And that series kicks off in Abu Dhabi in early March. So I'm curious, like right now, when you're two months out of your first race, what is a typical training day like for you? Um, our So our training is based on uh, like a seven-day plan. Um, it varies from an easy day, which is usually easy Mondays, um, which is today, and then like a hard Tuesday followed by, um, you know, uh, various cycles of like maybe it's a hard hard run and a hard swim, and then the next day will be a hard bike, and then we'll have another easy day, and it'll follow the same trend throughout the month just based on a, a seven-day schedule. Um, our coach tends to do a pretty good job of increasing our load each each week, so even though we're doing more or less the same thing every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so on, each week gets a little bit longer and harder as, as the season progresses. So easy Monday, what does that mean? Is that like a swim only? <laughs> is that, you know, what is it? Can you give us an example? Yeah. So there are no hard workouts on Monday, which is really nice. Um, so today I just had an easy run, which was a 50-minute run, and uh, like a, a 5K swim, um, which was pretty relaxed. Whereas tomorrow, I'm anticipating um, a hard tempo run and um, followed by a very hard swim. <laughs> so each day is different from the day prior, but giving ourselves these easy days allows us to recover um, and then push ourselves a little harder the next day when we have those hard sessions. And Taylor, since you are such a strong runner, I mean, you have to be to compete at your level. I'm really curious coming from like a coach's perspective, sort of what, like, what is an easy run pace for you? And what is a tempo run pace? Can you share those kind of information? I mean, this can be this time of year. It does, or you can tell us what you would maybe do that in the middle of the season. Yeah. Um, right now I am not I wouldn't call myself fit at all. I just started training. I took a really long break after last season. So my paces right now are all based on feel. Some days I look at my watch and I'm going a lot faster than I would expect. Other days I'm discouraged because I'm going really slow during my easy run. But um, I try not to let it get in my head too much because I am just trying to get fit again. And those easy run sessions are more something you just have to do and, and get through. My hard run sessions at this time of the year, I don't know what they'll look like because tomorrow will be my first one. So <laughs> let's say those tend to be somewhere between four minute per K pace all the way down to like 320 per K pace, depending on the the length of the session and um, whether it's a tempo run or short effort or, or something like that. So 320 per K, that's like 32 minute 10 K pace. That's, that's flying. That's awesome. That well, good luck to you. Tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I will not be hitting the faster end of that pace tomorrow, but thank you. <laughs> it will come. It always does. But so we mentioned Taylor that the, WTS series is starting in Abu Dhabi and from there it basically goes around the world to like all these stops from Bermuda to Yokohama to Leeds to Montreal and Canada to Hamburg and then all over, you know, kind of everywhere again, ending with the grand finale <laughs> in Lausanne, Switzerland, I think is how you say it, not to mention you also are going back to Japan and Tokyo for the test event in August. So I'm exhausted just kind of reading through the cities that Haley helped compile of all of the, the tour. 
it's just a yeah. ton of travel, a ton of time zones, a ton of like airline miles, I guess too. But, um, how do you manage crisscrossing the globe like that? And do you ever get homesick? Uh, all of this travel has definitely been a learning experience and I have not by any means like perfected it, but, um, you learn as you go. This camp pretty much marks the beginning of like essentially a world tour. And the only thing that really will make it a little bit easier this year, now that we're not based in San Diego is we will just have camps somewhere in the same time zone as the next race or somewhere near the next race to like eliminate that extra travel to and from home or that extra jet lag feeling. And yeah, it takes takes a lot of trial and error, but I think I've learned a lot along the way. I know what to pack. I know what not to pack. Um, I know that luggage fees can really get you if you book with the wrong airline and yeah. <laughs> so, so you leave home in, I'm not sure if you left in December, early January. And then when do you get back? When would you get back to the United States even? I don't think I will go back to the U.S. until after WTS Edmonton, maybe, because um that's just so that's an easy time. Like in the middle of this summer, is California. that <laughs> like July? Is that when that race is? I'm not, I don't have the calendar right yeah. in front of me. So we're talking yeah. at least seven months at a time that you're away from home. Yeah. So I'm away from home. I'm, you know, living out of a suitcase in it, like one big suitcase and one carry on in my bike bag. So, um, that's really all I have with me in terms of belongings. And we'll be in a lot of different climates, so it makes it it pretty difficult to to pack accordingly for all of these different places, and not really knowing when I'll see home next, especially if it's several months from now, makes it really tough. But so as we talk about home, I'll never for you, have this this experience ever again. So it's it's pretty unique and it's um, pretty cool, a cool way to see the world. I think it's super cool. But as, as we keep talking about home for you, you grew up in Southern California in the Manhattan beach area, and you attended college just a few hours North at California Polytechnic university, where you actually swam on the Mustangs division one NCAA team. Um, you were, you graduated in 2014 and that same year you won the USA triathlon collegiate club nationals. So how did you make such a quick jump from swimming to a pretty high level of triathlon. <laughs> I, I wouldn't call it a quick jump at all, but um, I think it probably seems that way. I, I grew up doing um, a sport called surf lifesaving my whole life, which is in, in Southern California, we call it junior lifeguards, where you do a lot of open water swimming, a lot of running, and I would and it's really competitive and I would compete in competitions throughout the summer. And I think that background really translated well to my transition from, you know, collegiate swimming to triathlon, but by no means has it been, uh, an easier, smooth transition. Um, it's taken me a while to learn how to become more of a, a land athlete instead of just a water athlete. And I think if you look back at my results from when I started to where I am now, I think you could see like a very slow, steady progression, but at least I'm headed in the right direction. And what was it like learning? Cause I guess, did you pick up cycling then in college at Cal Poly and kind of what was that progression like for you? Cause I know I interact with the university team here sometimes, and that's a lot of times the biggest barrier for them to get into cycling. And so did you have any like, what, how, I guess, how did you go about doing that while you were in college? Yeah. Um, so cycling was definitely the hardest to pick up in terms of you need so much equipment that needs to fit you right. And, um, you also want it to be a good quality. So I was fortunate because my dad was a very avid cyclist and he got me a very old, 
like aluminum frame cannondale from uh another female that he he rode like local rides with and um that was my first bike when I told him I wanted to try triathlon so I know a lot of the other athletes on the the triathlon team didn't quite have access to equipment like that when they started but you find a way to make it work and my dad always told me when I'd complain about my aluminum frame that it's you know it's just the engine that matters not the equipment so that made me work a little bit harder (laughs) excellent advice from dad there um we're obviously very happy that you took the triathlon route and I think your rise to the top has been very fast so from that collegiate race in 2014 we saw you blaze through the ITU ranks you finished a then surprising second place at the 2017 WTS race in Leeds. And most recently you finished the 2018 season ranked eighth in the WTS rankings and you had six top 10 finishes. So college summer to eighth in the world in just four years, you say it's been slow, but when you started, did you, did you think this was the path you would take? When I started the sport, I didn't, think this was the path I would take but this was my this is what I wanted the whole time obviously you want to succeed in something you know you're putting your your heart into and you're working really hard um to achieve certain goals you set for yourself and I saw all these other former collegiate runners succeeding in the program the USA triathlon development program instantaneously and I thought why not why can I do that I wasn't a runner but um, I felt that I had it in me somewhere and I'm happy to finally see these results come. And Taylor, it's no secret that the American women are incredibly strong in draft legal triathlon racing these days. Even with an eighth place world ranking, you're the third American and there are several w- other women who are right on your heels. So given the strength of Team USA, it's likely that three women will qualify to represent the U.S. at the Olympics in Tokyo in 2020. How fierce is the competition to get one of those three slots? The USA women's team is stacked. I mean, the I'm ranked eighth in the world. I'm the third American. And I believe the five or six of us ranked in the top 20 of the world. Um, it's kind of, you know, it sucks that only three of us can make it. But um, at the same time, I know that USA Triathlon will pick you know, the people that deserve it most if it comes down to a discretionary system. And when we race the qualification event, um, I really hope I make that team because, you know, that's my number one goal in the sport is to make the Olympic team. But um, if that course suits someone else better and, you know, the, the heat of Tokyo at that time of the year might suit someone else's strength better than they they deserve that Olympic spot more than I do. So it's going to be a tough year, but I'll give it everything I can to qualify for the Team USA um, Olympics in 2020. And Taylor, you mentioned this qualification procedures, and I was doing a little research on it, and I think they just were announced a couple months ago, but it sounds like, you know, there's Automat two, possibly two automatic slots that would come from results at the Tokyo test event that we mentioned, which will be happening this August on the actual Olympic course in Tokyo. So if I believe it's, if two team USA women place in the top three at that event, then they will automatically go, you know, they'll be the two top women, or if only one does, then they'll pick someone from the next eight. So there's kind of a different, different scenarios, but then that third one is discretionary no matter what. Is that right? Yeah, that you're spot on. You've done your research. <laughs> Thank you, Google. Um, so what is that like? I mean, it's it's just interesting to me because you're on this triathlon squad. You have some of your, you're, you're fighting for these three spots. Like there's so many qualified women and you have some of your, you know, your teammates are also fighting for those exact same spots. Like what is that training dynamic like? Yeah, it's a very unusual um situation to be in because if you look at um the two women ahead of me they're in <laughs> the two women ahead of me that race for the US, they are on teams that don't have any other American women on them. 
So, um, whereas I am on a team with uh, the two other American women that are both ranked below me in the next two spots. So it is very competitive, but, you know, I think the environment we have is, is very healthy and we, we encourage each other and, yeah, it's more competitive within your own country versus the athletes from another country, but somehow our dynamic seems to work and uh, we can separate the, uh, the racing from um, whatever goes on outside of, you know, our day-to-day training environment. Do you guys ever talk about it or is it just kind of like an elephant in the room sometimes? Because I mean, I imagine, <laughs> I, I guess I also imagine that with ITU racing like you ladies are doing, tactics come into play and, you know, helping out a team might, might be like for and against you. Like, I mean, is there ever like a post-race download between you guys on the squad to be like, kind of discuss all of that? Or is it not so much on the table? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't think we've never, you know, really addressed what's to come. I think because, this qualification criteria, you know, more or less just came out. Um, we've only been at this camp for a few days now, so we, we haven't seen each other since this qualification criteria came out. But I think it's all in the back of our minds, um, and I don't know if anyone will ever bring it up. <laughs> That's so interesting. And we mentioned that discretionary slot, which will be chosen by a committee. And a lot of the one of the main reasons for that or from my understanding is because in the 2020 Olympics, we'll have both the standard distance triathlon, the 1.5 K swim, 40 K bike, 10 K run, and then the new mixed relay event. And if I have this right, a mixed relay is two men and two women from each country. And each athlete does a 300 meter swim, 7.4 K bike and a two K run. So it's a super short, short triathlon. And then they tag off to the next athlete and the order is always female, male, female, male. Is that right? Yes. Yes, that is correct. All right. <laughs> so we've mentioned your success at the standard Olympic distance in races like Leeds, but you've also had a ton of success in the super sprint format, which is, you know, what the mixed relays are. So I'm curious if, you know, this gets you even more excited. The addition of the mixed relays gets you even more excited for Tokyo. It definitely does. I think... Racing for a team is is so much more fun and exciting and, you know, less nerve-wracking than when you're just lining up um, at the start line for yourself. I, I have a different kind of, uh, you know, ner- nervousness when it comes to, you know, the those team relay events. And I think it's it's so much more exciting. I think you push yourself a little more when you're, you know, something goes wrong or if you're really in a hole because you're, you're doing it for those three other people on your team. Whereas normally in a, in a race, um, you know, you're just doing it for yourself. And by no means am I saying I I hold back in a normal race, but it's just more fun, I guess. (laughs) And with events like super league and major league triathlon, these are really fast and exciting races. A lot of times they're broadcast online live and sometimes they even like mix up the traditional swim, bike, run order. They may have eliminations, things like that. So how do you fit those kind of events? Like we already ran down your travel and event WTS schedule. So how do you make the decisions <laughs> about like where these will fit in? Last year was a crazy year. I think I raced four different um, series that was the WTS series, um, the major league triathlon series, two of the super league series races and, um, one French grand prix race. So I think I over raced. <laughs> there was a lot of travel involved and I think by the end I was pretty exhausted, but somehow I managed to finish on a high note. Uh, with the the last two super leagues, but um, I think all that travel and racing that much takes a, takes a toll on you. And um, going into that last race of the season, I was a little bit injured, but somehow came on top 
came out on top, which was um, really reassuring going into this this next year, which is you know probably the most important year of my career. <laughs> And Taylor, I watched a little bit of the video or a lot of it. I spend a lot of time on the trainers. So I love the super league races. I love the major league triathlon. They are, they make great trainer material, <laughs> but best, yeah, the best thing to watch on a trainer, I swear. <laughs> it really is. The IT races are great as well. But so I watched that race in Mallorca that you're talking about the one you won and there are so many tactics involved in these races and that one, especially, you know, we talk about this Tokyo course and how it could be very technical. And that race in Mallorca was I mean, that hill looked giant even on TV and they had this, you know, that short shoot where you get that shortcut. If you're first, you know, you won your heat. So you got to take a, you know, a shortcut in the second in the finals and you took it later in the race and that helped you win. Or that's what, I mean, it's peered. I don't know if that was actually how it was in real life, but (laughs) is that fun for you to have those different kind of tactical things? Does that, does that help you? You think when you get into those mixed relay situations and how often do you practice your transitions? Um, I think one of my favorite part of IT racing and what sets it apart from, you know, typical um, non-draft racing is the tactics that it involves because you're not just, you know, on a solo mission where you push yourself, but you're more, you know, keying off of the, the competitors around you and trying to not only like, you know, go as fast as you possibly can, but, um, you have to outsmart them too. And I really like that aspect of, of the draft legal racing. Yeah. And I think that'll translate well, especially to the shorter distance race when it comes to the mixed team relay. And we'll see a lot more of that going into the Olympics, which I hope I can be a part of that team. (laughs) Have you ever had anything go like terribly wrong you know, in one of these super league races where you're changing orders, like, do you ever get confused when you're going swim, bike, run? It's like, okay, that's normal. But then you suddenly have to go, you know, bike, swim, run and that kind of thing. Is, is there any ever confusion? Oh, there's, there's so much confusion in the super league races. I think there's one, one day of racing where we only have 10 minutes in between the first short race and the second short race and then the third short race. And um, we're always like clarifying with each other and the referees what order it's supposed to be in. And sometimes we're asking each other like what's next or what lap we're on because there's so much to remember. And uh, it's really easy to forget, especially if you're used to, you know, the traditional swim bike run um, order. <laughs> it does make for good trainer material, but I do wonder, I'm like, how do they know? Which I would, I would get so confused, but thanks for, uh, thanks for figuring yeah. it out and uh, entertaining all of us. I would always tell Haley she had another lap of the swim to go. <laughs> more yeah, more swimming should, to do. Yeah, Haley. maybe I should play that tactic. I should play that tactic and be like, oh yeah, we have a three more laps left when we only had two or something like that. There was oh. one race that I did my first uh, super sprint race where so swim bike run swim bike run and it was I think it was at it coincided with the age group national event in Milwaukee one year and. I was swimming and biking with the lead and someone ran into my, my leg with their bike and, uh, cut me pretty bad. And my, my foot started bleeding, but I forgot that I was supposed to run next. So I grabbed my cap and goggles and I went to the swim and everyone that was spectating was yelling at me like, no, you're supposed to go run. And I didn't hear them because I was just like, so in the zone and my like, leg was bleeding and I just wanted to get the race over with. And then finally someone got my attention and they were like, you're supposed to run. But and so I like go back to transition, go get my shoes. And they're like, Oh, forget your shoes. Just go because it was so out of the way. So I did the whole 1.5 K. I think it was 1.5 K run barefoot on concrete. Um, but then I had a really fast next transition because I didn't have any shoes on and I had my goggles and cap in my hand already. <laughs> well, there's a plus side. Yeah. Super fast transition. Yeah. And I think, I, I think you've still finished uh, on the podium in that race. Is, am I right? Yeah, I did. I think I was third. Um, yeah. And my leg was bleeding, but, uh, 
It was really embarrassing, and I'm glad it's not televised, but now a lot of people are going to know the story. <laughs> I think it's a fantastic story. Thank you for telling it. I think it's great. And then, you know, it, maybe they're going to have flashbacks of that during the Tokyo coverage. That would be fantastic. <laughs> Look how far yeah, she's come. Yeah, just a photo of my leg bleeding, running barefoot on concrete with other people <laughs> with shoes on. You found mm-hmm. a way. You found a way to keep going. I did. (laughs) And Taylor, we talked about a little bit, but you graduated from college in 2014, which is the same year that women's triathlon was added to the NCAA as an emerging sport. So if racing triathlon at that level had been an option for you, do you think you would have done it? That's a really tough question. Going into college, I didn't think too much about doing triathlon other than my parents met doing triathlon and my mom was a former pro that was the only exposure I had to it but I never had done a a triathlon before Um, I think it was like 2013 or something like that so um, I don't know if I would have entered college with the intention of of doing it as an NCAA sport because my my main focus was academics and I really wanted to go to the best architecture school that I could go to. <laughs> so my life has really uh, changed from my freshman year of, of college. And, okay, I, I'm going into this architecture thing a little bit because I'm really curious about this. And I, I saw that you tweeted um, – you know, an article from the New York times a couple of weeks ago, and it talked about how, while half of all architecture students are female, they may actually make up a really small percentage of architecture professionals. So I had no idea that this kind of gender imbalance existed. And I'm always really curious to learn those kind of things because it's something we struggle with in long course triathlon. So from your own experience, like did the, you know, quote unquote boys club of architecture, is it like the articles described and did that play at all into your decision to pursue triathlon rather than the traditional path and going straight into the corporate world? I have never been exposed to the corporate world of architecture, but reading that article was uh, an eye opener for me. I do remember my freshman year of architecture school, the professors were saying that it was by far it was the first time they've had like almost uh, 50, 50 female and male in, in, the arch- in their architecture undergraduate program. So I thought that was pretty cool to be a part of, of that, you know, group of, of females um, coming into this, this new profession that's very male dominated. But I don't think it was part of my decision to do triathlon professionally when I, when I graduated, I think triathlon um somehow in some weird way found me and um I didn't want to give up competing because I also swam in college and I and I really enjoyed that and this was the first opportunity that I I thought like wow I could really be a professional athlete and maybe make um the Olympics one day and you know my my heart had has always wanted to be a part of the team USA. So, um, I thought, why not do that now? And, you know, I can get into the corporate world later when my, my body's falling apart. (laughs) Well, Taylor, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today. We'll let you get to bed over in the Canary Islands and get ready for your tempo run tomorrow. Um, but we're really excited to follow along (laughs) with your journey this year. And I know, a lot of people, I think, will be glued to that test event in Tokyo this summer to see how that all shakes out for you guys. Oh, great. Thank you so much for having me. So we did a little digging on Taylor's mom because we wanted to know more about her background as a professional triathlete. And it turns out Bonnie Spivey was the swim course record holder for Ironman Canada. I think she swam a 49-minute swim split at the Ironman in 1989. And Taylor also added that in 1990, Bonnie did an Ironman while pregnant with Taylor. So Taylor's an Ironman without even meaning to be, right, Alyssa? Exactly. So I wonder if any of the other women who have been racing this year pregnant have been thinking about that. Like maybe they're trying to like instill the same genetics that Taylor got lucky with. 
I know it certainly works. And we're excited for Taylor and her campaign for the 2020 Olympics. And we'll be following along as with her and all the other American women. It's going to be a fierce battle. Well, Haley, the rest of this week, I'm actually headed into sunny Arizona for camp with Hillary Biscay and I'll be stopping by the Smashfest Queen warehouse. So I know a lot of new items recently came out. Let me know if there's anything you want me to check out for you. Ooh, I might need you to check out some things for me. Is that, are you offering this to me or to our listeners? For you so that, you know, <laughs> unfortunately I cannot help all of the listeners who send me messages <laughs> asking me to look at things. So sorry guys, you'll have to find other avenues, but if you have a friend going to the camp, they will be able to check it out as well for you. <laughs> Tell me how those hats work. I don't know if they're, uh, if that's the place to test them out in Arizona, but I, those I've been eyeing the new hats and I'm thinking, um, I mean, I say that it's warm here. 40 degrees is warm. And I think it was 14 this morning. So I am still definitely in winter hat mode and I saw them release some new hats. So I might have to be checking those out. I'll take it out in the crisp desert mornings for you and I'll, I'll let you know, but I'll talk to you next week, Haley, and tell you all about how the desert is and how training was out there. Bye, Alyssa. Have a great trip. This is a special song. It's me and my friend's song that we made ourselves. This song is called Here I Am. Get ready for the chorus. I am here now you cannot take me. I will stand up this whole entire time. I am strong now you cannot beat me. I will stand up because I am here. The Iron Woman Podcast is a live, feisty media production. Our hosts are Alyssa Gadiski and Haley Chara, and our awesome editors, Aaron Hamilton. Also, we couldn't do this without our sponsors, Wahoo Fitness, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen. Oh.